Happy Monday. Welcome to episode five of the Gen Z GOP podcast. Joining my co-hosts, Mike Brodo and John Olds. Thank you guys for joining me again today. Essentially today in this episode, we're going to talk about the rise of QAnon and talk about why this dangerous conspiracy theory has you know, elevated our political sphere, especially in the Republican Party, and why we really should push back against that. So You know, just to kind of touch back on the last week, we, you know, witnessed the RNC and there was a lot of good and a lot of bad. I think, you know, some highlights were like Tim Scott's speech, which really pushed this positive message of American unity and the American dream. And I really hope the Republican Party starts to embrace more of that sentiment rather than some of the more fringe side of things that was also displayed. But one thing that really stood out to me was Marjorie Taylor Greene's attendance of Trump's RNC speech on Thursday evening. And the reason why her attendance kind of like shook me so much was this is a person that, you know, has peddled in a lot of these conspiracy theories, especially QAnon, and alleged that, you know, these Democrat leaders are, you know, animals and they have child sex slaves in the bottom of a pizza joint. So like this rhetoric is awful. And I think it's like important to recognize how bad it truly is and kind of dive into it. So John, I know you have some thoughts about the rise of QAnon and, you know, what do you think? I do. And I'm going to try and get through this with a straight face because some of this is just so ridiculous. Um, But QAnon is basically this conspiracy theory that says that there's this group of global elites that um, you know, assert that people in Hollywood, government employees, the Democratic Party leaders, and they're all essentially coming together as Satan worshiping pedophiles running a global child sex trafficking ring um, that's somehow plotting against the president. And the theory began with an anonymous government employee named Q who claimed to have access to classified information involving the Trump administration and he, you know, he's this high clearance employee, and he's somehow taking orders from the president. So this is what we're dealing with. We're not engaging on the issues. We're not engaging on anything important to everyday Americans at their kitchen table. We're talking about the alleged child sex trafficking ring that's being run by Hollywood and people living in Northern Virginia. So uh, that's where we're at. It's a complete disaster. But I'm looking forward to talking about it today. Should be fun. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it, it is hard to read something like that with a straight face. Like it makes no sense whatsoever and kind of doesn't resemble what we're kind of taught and, you know, resemble what we should be as like active citizens in this country. Like, yeah, we're going to have political differences, but essentially this conspiracy theory alleges that, you know, you're different from me. So all of a sudden now you're a child sex trafficker and it's like whoa we kind of elevated that and i think this is like completely correlated to you know the decline of good rhetoric in this country and our distance from good policy in this country so instead of talking about why maybe these democrat leaders are wrong we've instead resorted to you know oh they're just child rapists like that's not anyway helpful and it's kind of actually dangerous 
especially when you look at like Pizzagate, as I previously mentioned, where, you know, you had a guy from North Carolina drive like seven hours to D.C. to go to a pizza pizza joint that was alleged to have child sex slaves by John Podesta. Payne chairman, you know, and that type of like, you know, rhetoric that pushes like that specific idea that, you know, Pizzagate was legit is it's disappointing and it's like, you know, discouraging to anyone who wants good civil discourse in this country. And it's funny to me, Ryan, not to cut you off, but you ever go, you're driving down the highway and you're, you're in the middle lane or something and someone cuts you off. They change lanes and they, they swerve in front of you. And I know that, you know, for, for years and years and years, since the dawn of time, we've resorted to character attacks and it's, and it sucks. And it's a part of life though. Um, so this is like, imagine someone disagreeing with you or doing something that's relatively harmless towards you. And you turn around and you say, oh my gosh, that person must be a child sex trafficker that's, you know, <laughs> coordinating with some deep conspiracy. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, you made a good point about rhetoric. Um, you're, you're totally spot on that when we, when we lose the substance, we, you know, become more susceptible to engaging in these ridiculous conspiracy theories. Um, and that's exactly where we are. So. No, and I think you're spot on with that assessment. So Mike, I know you have some thoughts about, you know, the rise of QAnon. Yeah. So there's a really in-depth article in the Atlantic called the prophecies of Q. If anyone needs a late night laugh, I think that delves into a lot of the very in-depth fundamental reasons behind QAnon and actually some of their beliefs and actions. But I think we should preface this in, in this way, is that QAnon is fundamentally dangerous to the country. We, we've talked about discourse, and I think we should dive into that in a bit, about what gives rise to these types of groups. But I want to clarify that QAnon does not just pose a threat to American discourse and rhetoric. It poses a, a threat to American lives. For example, last year, the FBI assessed that QAnon and similar theories present a genuine threat and inspire groups and extremists to carry out criminal acts, and they've actually deemed it a potential terror group. And there are a few occasions of this happening. One QAnon adherent will soon face trial for kidnapping her children from foster care under the false belief she was saving them from the sinister cabal. Another apparent QAnon adherent was arrested after she attempted to ram her car into the vehicles of strangers who she imagined were pedophiles. And another endangered his own children by leading police on a high-speed car chase, which he streamed online while pleading for QAnon and Donald Trump to save him. And these are only three examples. There's also evidence of a mafia boss being killed, and I'm not defending the mafia here, but that the fact that someone was com had come to the belief that this mafia boss was involved in this pedophile child sex trafficking ring and actually murdered him. There's also an example of people bringing knives into New York on trains and whatnot. There's plenty of evidence that these beliefs are actually leading to acts of violence. So I think that we need to come into this conversation realizing that, yes, some of the stuff they say is hilarious because it's objectively false, but that also these are leading to very dangerous acts of lunacy and violence. And there's nothing more conservative, Mike, than something bad happening to you and then crying for help from the head of the national government, the president of the United States. It would just seem to me that this is so 
I mean, it's it's known as a far right conspiracy theory, but it's just a bunch of idiots. I don't even I, I think calling them far right or even on the right is an insult to people like Louis Gohmert, who I would consider far right. These people are just nuts. Yeah, there's actually a lot of conversation around that. I think we can bounce some ideas around a bunch of different podcasts and articles that are talking about QAnon say that some aspects are far right. Maybe some of the flirtations with anti-Semitism and the anti-immigration stuff, but that's not really the fundamental root of QAnon. I actually wouldn't say that QAnon is far right to the extent that it's not rooted in an extremist ideology. It's just rooted in an anti-establishment, anti-elite conspiracy theory. And for that case, the New York Times had a piece actually saying that Democrats and independents are attracted to this movement. And I think that we should make that distinction because unlike some far-right conspiracy groups that were rooted in ideology that pushed Trump into the presidency, QAnon did not come about until after Trump was elected. And so a lot of people on different podcasts have said that QAnon's actually there to explain the chaos of the Trump presidency to try to reason with why we have what we have. And I think we can we should discuss that here. Do we think that QAnon is has pushed Trump into office or is just used to explain that? And another thing is, if Trump loses, what do we think happens to QAnon if there's no longer the president that needs to be explained? And so Adam Kinzinger, um, the congressman from Illinois, he, had, he did a video on this, I, I want to say it was like a week ago, kind of in response to the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. And he made a really good point. And it's that we shouldn't dismiss conspiracy theorists as, you know, conniving, horrible, evil people. They're really at their core, just people of all stripes who are looking for the truth and think that society would be better off if the truth were, you know, coming to light. Now, the problem is sometimes the truth is in plain sight and being reported by you know, mainstream sources, but that's not enough for some people. And that's how you get groups like QAnon or 9-11 truthers or whatever, you know, conspiracy du jour that you might, that you might be thinking about. So like it, these, these people aren't necessarily evil, though they might do evil things. They're just grasping at straws. They're trying to figure out why the chaos of the Trump presidency is the way that it is. Yeah, there's this quote from a Politico piece called The QAnon Rot in the GOP. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I think the GOP is totally at fault here. We can talk about that. But food for thought here. The quote says, A conspiracy theory lets its believers in on a secret not available to everyone else. It thus has the thrill of exclusivity. It bestows upon the initiated a knowledge ignored or dismissed by fools and the easily deceived who don't know what's really going on. And I think that quote is extremely important for our understanding of why people are attracted to these theories. And it's rooted in this populist anti-establishment rhetoric. So people that have disdain for elites at some, to some extent are feel that they're not part of the system, right? They think that they are being controlled by this global elite that know all the answers and that they're being kept in the dark. So what they believe is a rational response to that. Maybe, you know, we don't, think it's rational is that they feel that they have a group now, that they are in on something that gives them power and gives them a role, a reason to believe in these things. And I think that's a fundamental thing that we need to look at is that people just feel like they're part of a group. And we'll talk about Ben Sass's theory in his book, Them, 
about anti-tribes, especially when we talk about the partisan aspect of this. Why is this rising in the GOP? It's this negative partisanship. They're not really rooted in strict ideological components that are of the right. They are rooted in beliefs that are anti-Democrat. So they're using this negative partisanship to explain Trump because that he is not the party that are the pedophiles and Satan worshipers. But I think we need to look into the anti-establishment populist aspect of people trying to feel like they have a group. And there's this pandemic of loneliness that Ben Sass talks about. And I think what we need to look at here is that people in this country, for a variety of reasons, and you should read his book on it, don't feel like they have groups, civil society anymore. It's also kind of like the bowling alone argument. And for that reason, and we should look at the ages of people in QAnon, they're mostly boomers, for example. They don't have their kids in their houses anymore. They're looking for something to give them meaning in life, to really embrace this group. And if when you blend that with the anti-establishment populist rhetoric, it makes them feel like they're in on something that makes them powerful. And I think that is what we should approach this as. It's not just lunacy, but there's actually real rooted reasons that people come to associate and believe in these crazy theories. Mike, I think you're exactly spot on. And I mean, to touch on an earlier point and kind of tie it to that point, you mentioned that like, this is like an all encompassing conspiracy theory, like people across the spectrum are trying to buy into this. And I think it kind of proves your point that this loneliness is not unique to like one side of the political sphere. People are buying into this idea that, you know, these elitists are controlling their life and it's, you know, a sad state of affairs. You know, last month there was a good article that I read um, from Mel Magazine titled What It's Like to Lose a Loved One to QAnon. And, you know, I'm not going to read any of the article because I think the title speaks for itself in this one situation. Like normally you should read the whole article, but for the sake of the argument here, like, you know, people are losing loved ones to this. This is like not, you know, your political theory or your political affiliation. This is a full on like cult that people are buying into and dedicating their lives to as seen by the three circumstances that you kind of spoke of earlier. It's not just the conspiracy theory. It's a full on cult that people are buying into. And it's, you know, a testament to our state of affairs where people are so lonely that they're willing to kind of buy into anything and, you know, elevate something as disgusting as, you know, this rhetoric. Our responsibility kind of as a society and a community to kind of push back against that and lead people in a much better direction. It's, yeah, we can definitely do a lot better. Do you think, Ryan, that there's, and and I guess this goes to Mike as well, do you think that there's an economic reasoning behind, you know, the rise of this, this theory? Because, you know, I think back and I'm going to sound all Catholic and, and Latin-y here, but um, there's, there's a papal encyclical uh, called Laborum Exercens from Pope John Paul II. And basically what it talks about is the dignity of work and that no matter what job you have, there is dignity in the work that you're doing and it is all done in, you know, in the service of God, right? When you have a situation like we have in America where people are having to work two jobs or mom and dad might be working and it's really hard to make ends meet and you you had these jobs that used to put food on the table and um and paid the bills and put a roof over your head and raised children 
you know, those that that reality is is slipping away from a lot of people. And I think that I don't know. Do you think that that these theories kind of give essence and meaning to people because of the lack of meaning that they're getting from their work? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just their work that they're not getting meaning from. It's, you know, Ben Sass, love love them, the book by Ben Sass. He talks about like the, lo- the loss of community and how people used to treat work as, you know, something that you would do um, like nine to five, but there would be a community within work. And due to the rise of like, you know, smartphones and everything, work kind of seems like a never ending cycle. And people are more frustrated and they're leaving jobs um, more frequently. So this idea that work is like a community and can provide you personal appreciation for yourself and, you know, appreciation for the work you're doing, you know, that has declined in recent years. And it's kind of had a chain reaction throughout our society. And I think like as we talk about QAnon and these conspiracy theories that people are buying into, it's absolutely correlated. There's no doubt in my mind that, you know, people who don't see the same satisfaction in the workplace are now turning towards this idea that the Hollywood elites and the Democrat elite are kind of controlling their life and not allowing them to be happy in that type of idea, which is, you know, again, truly disappointing and sad to think about that people are not seeing this and feeling this appreciation in their everyday life. Um, And Mike, I, I also want to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I'm a big article guy over here, so I'll start my point from a quote from a National Review article called Another Virus is Spreading, and they're referencing conspiracy theories within the GOP, and it says this, false conspiracy theories such as these, being QAnon and the like, cause harm by calumniating real people and creating scapegoats. They create a break with reality that makes it difficult for a self-governing people to begin to address the actual problems they face. So I agree 100% with John's point and what you said, Ryan, is that this populist anti-establishment rise on the right is directly tied to these embracings of conspiracy theories because people, to put it frankly, feel screwed over by the system and they're trying to justify why they are not fulfilling the lives that they've wanted. For example, this is not QAnon related, but more on the fringe right when they say that Mexicans are coming here to steal your jobs. They feel that they don't have dignified work and are making enough money and they see other people doing very well economically and they want to blame immigrants and people that are not white from taking the jobs that they think are rightfully theirs. Now, I know that we all agree in capital with capitalism and that the best man or woman should get the job and that immigrants are great for the workforce and that's why we push back on that racist and anti-capitalist rhetoric. But I think it goes to show that when people are struggling in life, the easiest thing to do is to blame others for your problems. And I think that explains QAnon too, because they feel that this system is not working for them. And let's be honest, the system is not perfect. But like this article is saying, by embracing conspiracy theories to scapegoat people for your problems, it actually creates further problems for how we can address problems in the Republic. This hurts the discourse that we can actually have to come together and solve our problems. So I think that QAnon is rooted in this scapegoating aspect, but it's also going to have very negative implications for how we address problems in the future. So yes, I think it's tied to economics. I think there's a reason that people are embracing it from all sides of the spectrum. I think we should talk about why it's got a foothold in the GOP specifically. I don't think it's necessarily rooted in any right-wing ideology. It's just rooted in the party that is governing 
against what has historically been this democratic elite, especially a party that now is embracing more of this populist rhetoric. So I think we need to look at how we as a party can reconcile this and realize that it's not an ideological fight that we're fighting, but a fight about truth and the way that we go about discussing issues. I I do want to touch on the fact that people like Liz Cheney and Ben Sass and Adam Kinzinger have sort of come out and condemned QAnon, which is a really low bar. Like on the flip side of that, you have Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy, who when Marjorie Taylor Greene won her primary, they were saying, we look forward to her winning in November. Look, I'm all about getting Republicans elected. But when when the Republican nominee for a congressional seat is a grade A lunatic, I think we can go without that one seat. I don't think that her vote in Congress for, you know, whatever bills that we might be trying to pass is worth losing our adherence to truth and principles. You know, just like it's it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. This lady is nuts. This lady is whack. And and we're all about, oh goodness, we got another Republican seat. We're keeping another Republican seat. She ran against a neurosurgeon. Her her primary opponent was awesome. He represented everything that she wasn't. He was educated. He was a conservative. And we elected this absolute wackadoodle who's going to make Louis Gohmert look like he's moderate. And ugh, it's just so frustrating. But credit where credit's due. Liz Cheney, Ben Sass, Adam Kinzinger really nail it when they condemn QAnon. But then again, the bar for that is so incredibly low. Condemning a conspiracy theorist. Wow. We have come, like, don't trip over the bar. My God. Yeah. And I I think there's another, you know, congressman um, who also spoke against it, kind of not as well known, but then. Oh, yeah. And rep from Virginia. He was like, from day one, once QAnon started, like, you know, gaining some traction in these congressional races. He was quoted saying, you know, QAnon is the mental gonorrhea of conspiracy theories, which, you know, I chuckled at, especially being like, you know, from Virginia politics. Um, Denver is, you know, represents Virginia's fifth congressional district. And I think Denver actually understands this idea behind the dangerousness of these conspiracy theories a little more than anyone, as he was recently unelected and lost his reelection due to another, I wouldn't even say conservative but, you know, other Republican non- candidate who had peddled in a lot of these theories, not exactly QAnon, but conspiracy theories in general and, you know, homophobia and that side of things. So I think he understands like the ramifications it has. And Riggleman has recently introduced a bill with Tom Malinowski from New Jersey, you know, condemning QAnon um, formally in Congress and, you know, pushing back against the idea and notion that, you know, this is accepted. Let's talk about Kevin McCarthy here for a second. So he's shown disdain for the movement, QAnon, the the conspiracy theory, and he's called it out. But an interesting point that was made by the Dispatch podcast about this topic was that Kevin McCarthy relies on the Freedom Caucus to remain leader. There's talks about in the next session that there's going to be a challenge to him. I think he understands what he's up against. And there's a double standard here, and I'll get into some of his quotes here, But there's the double standard with how he reacted to Steve King, who wasn't part of QAnon. Steve King's actually said that 
QAnon is, is nuts to an extent. He's also nuts. Steve King is more of just the, the far right ideological movement. But he stripped Steve King of his committee assignments. And now he's has not threatened to do the same for Marjorie Taylor Greene. And some of his quotes here that were in a Hill article just kind of boggle me in terms of the hypocrisy. So at first, Kevin McCarthy comes out and rightfully says there's no place for QAnon in the Republican Party. But then he goes on to emphasize that Green has distanced herself from QAnon, which I have not seen, and maybe she's just not playing it as much, and that she deserves a chance to prove herself once elected. And let's talk about her for a second in a bit about she's not just QAnon. She's anti-Islamic. She says there's an Islamic invasion into our federal government. She's peddled with some parts of what people would say are anti-Semitic theories about George Soros and a bunch of other ridiculous things that would be more right-wing. And another quote that McCarthy says, I've had discussions with Marjorie Green. She won that primary, and she recently came out and denounced the Q organization, whatever beliefs. I do not agree with their beliefs at all, and she denounced those. And then he says, I believe everybody has an opportunity from that standpoint. And the discussions I've had with her, I think she will continue to work to show people that lots of times in press today implies something different. She's a small business owner, and she'll be given an opportunity. So on one side, he's denouncing the theory, and I think he's taking the easy way out and saying, I don't want to denounce the candidate, so I'll just say that she doesn't associate with the theory anymore. I, I think that's kind of a, an easy way out. What do you guys think about how Kevin McCarthy has been reacting to this? My, my immediate thought is that if she starts to pull stunts, uh, as much as Kevin McCarthy, I think, is kind of you know capitulated to some of the darker angels of the GOP, whether it be Trump or the, or the Freedom Caucus, I think that he understands that at the end of the day, he's the minority leader in the House, and that comes with a certain amount of gravitas and and warrants a respect for the institution. So I think that you're going to see him probably take action against her if she starts saying, you know, like if she, let's say she's on a committee and she's grilling some cabinet secretary and she asks, um, you know, how they're um, how the child sex trafficking ring is going lately. Uh, I think that will probably earn her an office in the basement. And, um, and she probably, probably won't see her on many uh, committee hearings after if she were to pull some stunt like that. So I I do trust Kevin McCarthy to do the right thing. Um, Then again, the whole equivocation that he seems to be giving, um, the, you know, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, it is weird. And it's, uh, as you said, Mike, it's evident that he's trying to please uh, the many faces of the GOP uh, so he can remain leader. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see how you can defend a candidate that has said demon possession and military grade intelligence developed weapons like voice of God technology are to blame for school shootings or that COVID-19 is a cover for pedophilia. I, I just I get that people can change, but I don't think that when you're that far into the lunacy world that you really can defend her in in that regard. And I respect Leader McCarthy a lot, but I just don't see the upside for the party in embracing her. Maybe he has his own calculations that he's making with his stance as leader, but I really think this is a very low bar uh, for him. And the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene is so much more than QAnon and, and what she's stood for, so... I just yeah, I should, I, in that regard. I should have been a little more clear. Like when I say Kevin McCarthy will do the right thing, I mean that in a hypothetical future situation. 
this now and her current nomination, I'm very much against. I would, I think it would have been a lot more effective for him and just, you know, morally acceptable if he listed out all those terrible things, you know, COVID is a cover for pedophilia and military technology is a, you know, causing school shootings, right? All these ridiculous things. I feel like if, if he had said, no, she's got to prove herself. Like she's coming in, you know, five runs down in the ninth inning. She's not, we're not taking her at, with a tabula rasa, with like a clean slate. We're not taking her as that. We're taking her as someone who's a complete wackadoodle and has to prove herself that she's essentially a normal person and a functioning adult. Um, so I guess I should be more clear. Let's talk about QAnon's relationship to the GOP, why it's risen through the ranks of the party, why we have, I think there's 20 congressional candidates on the ballot this year that have expressed some connection to the conspiracy theory. Why do we feel that the GOP is kind of the place for conspiracy theories right now? Personally, I believe that this movement is a fantasy of Trump power and Trump goodness. Different people have said that, that it's inherently like I said before, trying to explain the Trump presidency and all that it embraces. But now that it's not just the fringe, I get that they're fringe, but they're having real impacts and they're running for Congress. We're probably going to have one to two Congress people that are part of this conspiracy theory. How does the GOP respond? And not just in terms of statements by party leaders, but how does the party, in terms of all of the people like us that are part of this party, this tent, how do we respond to that? And how do we reconcile with that we allowed this to happen? And how do we prevent it in the future? I mean, I think this is the result of, you know, other conspiracy theories. It's not like conspiracy theories are new to the Trump era. I think, you know, we've we've seen conspiracy theories, you know, since early days of, you know, America's founding. And I think it's kind of like, you know, existed throughout time and we've seen them develop and we've seen them go away. I mean, I, I think closer to like, you know, our earlier life, like the rise of like, you know, 9-11 was actually an inside job. And I mean, that still is kind of peddled today, even by someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And this idea that, you know, the military or on the left, like the military was only used to get oil and to get economic power. I mean, like there's a lot of this notion in our political environment today that you know there's this hidden meaning in everything that we do and these conspiracy theories always get peddled in so i don't think this is anything unique to the time that we're in obviously QAnon specifically is and i think even if QAnon was to go away specifically it wouldn't free us from the dangers of conspiracy theories and we would always be burdened by you know ridiculousness in our political sphere but obviously, you know, if QAnon can, you know, get pushed out as much as it can, that's a good thing and it'll better our party because of it. How do we grapple with the fact that the president of the United States has retweeted QAnon type material 201 times, has come out in press conferences and says, oh, is that a bad thing or a good thing that I'm doing this king? And I know that he's not embracing it, but he's not denying it and dismissing it rightfully either. He's flirting with it and that gives them power to the fact that they are in on this. And I, I know that the QAnon people go off and they say, oh, Trump wore a yellow tie to this COVID press conference, which means it's all a hoax. 
that's not his fault. You know, he just chose to wear a yellow tie. But when you come out in press conferences and retweet stuff, and especially Eric Trump has retweeted this stuff, that's very harmful to the party, especially when he's the face of the party. How do we reconcile with that? Why is the president doing this? I don't see how promoting that extreme, extreme fringe, it's not even his base, is going to help him end it there. Right, Mike, you're, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, I remember at the State of the Union, I want to say it was two years ago, he wore a tie and the tie was a little crooked, like the, the he meaning the president. And the tie was like 17 degrees uh, tilted one way. And the QAnon people, they read that as like a bat signal from the high heavens. And that was, I just remember thinking that was hilarious. I remember reading tweets about that during the speech and just, you know, peeing myself laughing. But to your point about why does he do this? Look, one of my favorite debates in the Trump era is, is Trump just an idiot who got lucky or is he really smart and is, is so incredibly shrewd and knows exactly how to appeal to the right coalition of people so that he will get reelected? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, but I think he understands that he will be hurt so much electorally if he were to take a really forceful stance against this. And it's sort of analogous to the Southern strategy um, that the GOP is sometimes still using today to kind of dog whistle to people that don't really like people of color. And it's all about like, the Q people know that Trump is never going to come out and be like, I support Q. This is all real. But if he doesn't explicitly deny it, it kind of fans their flame in a bit to keep them alive. And presumably these people vote and presumably these people vote in places that Trump cares about. So I don't know. I mean, I think that when in doubt, see how this affects a politician's re-election prospects. And I think that he needs these people to vote. And I also think that the issue is fairly low salience to the everyday American so that, you know, uh, someone who might be undecided right now isn't going to even hear about QAnon and base their vote base, uh, you know, off of this. So I think that's why you're seeing this. Um, that's my two cents. Could be totally off base, though. I'm going to... Uh exactly right in this idea that you know everyday americans probably realistically don't care about QAnon. i mean i i think i i haven't looked at any polls um about it but i'm sure QAnon only has oh so much of people who are aware or approve or disapprove of the group i think it's a very minimal portion of americans and obviously people who are politically involved know the inside and out of QAnon. But I think as we look towards like, you know, what has on the president's like re-election chances, I think like everything, the president has done some good things. He's also done some bad things. And this is just one of the many things that, you know, some people will have to factor into their decision. But ultimately, it's not like he's going to events and wearing a Q cap. I mean, it, I think he may be complicit in not rejecting it, but I don't think he's exactly as much furthering it, even if he retweets an account by it it's not like he's publicly said that you know hillary clinton has child sex slaves i mean that currently is not happening if it does i will backtrack this and completely reject what i just said but ultimately i think this is one of those things that you know for the party's future we definitely have to reject but for everyday americans this is not you know that most pressing issue or not something that's going to keep them up at night uh 
Washington International Review article, and I don't know quite when it's from. But basically, what it what the phrase that Trump uses, it's almost like something you would say in a drunken stupor or whatever. And basically, it's he says many people are saying, and what, and it and it gives him this sort of credence that like what is many people is many people like a dozen people that you know show up with signs and wave them in front of the white house every day or is it millions of people who are peddling conspiracy i don't know but he can kind of get away with speaking in ambiguities such that if he's asked about you know oh did you deny this theory he'll say oh yes it's a very fringe thing Nobody's really talking about it. And then on the flip side, if he wants to kind of, you know, give the old wink, wink, nod, nod to the to the Q people, he'll say, well, this isn't necessarily a bad thing if I'm, you know, fighting the child sex trafficking ring, it, is it? You know, so he, he kind of plays two sides of the coin. And that's part of what makes Trump so effective. Yeah, I'm going to push back. I, I think I pretty vehemently disagree with the assessments you guys are making here because I, I think that's just extremely bad politics to try to appease this group. We don't know how big they are. I think there's 4.5 million people on these accounts, but let's be honest, they're mostly bots um, and people probably have multiple accounts. But let me make an analogy here. There's a USA Today op-ed about Trump and QAnon and tying it to Barry Goldwater and the John Birch Society. Well, the John Birch Society is this far-right group that came out of kind of McCarthyism, this very vehemently anti-communist stance, but they were similarly anti-media, anti-establishment. They asserted that Eisenhower was in cahoots and running the world. Very similar parallel to what we see with QAnon, but it was more rooted in ideology. But let's just think of it as a, an extreme McCarthyism that asserted that the government was run by communists, whereas right now it's run by child sex trafficking pedophiles and, and the like. So this is a little bit of a stretch. But the John Birch Society is a good parallel because Barry Goldwater realized that a lot of people in that group supported him, but by not vehemently disavowing it, he lost. It was bad politics. The quote here from the article is that appeasing nutty conspirators wasn't just cowardly and dishonest. It was bad politics, too. I just do not understand why Trump thinks it's a good idea to not vehemently disavow it. It's going to have negative consequences down ballot because the people that push you over the edge are not the crazy ones. They're already crazy enough to explain this theory with Trump, right? This theory is rooted in this idea of Trump power and Trump goodness, just trying to explain why Trump is the savior of the world. If he comes out and disavows it, I don't know if they're going to not vote for him. That doesn't matter. This group is not as important as the people middle of the aisle. And I'm not just saying this for electoral reasons. I think it's really bad politics to, when people see this, I, I know Ryan brought up, oh, I don't know how many people know about it. There was polling done in March that said people on the left are more aware of it. I think 59% of New York Times readers knew about it, only 19% of Fox News readers, and people that watch network news even lower. But at this point, because of Marjorie Taylor Greene and the like, people know about this. And I think that him, his not going out there and disavowing completely is going to have very negative impacts on uh, voters that are independents, middle of the aisle. So I think you're right in the sense that, like, from a moral perspective, obviously, QAnon bad, right? <laughs> like, like no, no one is, no one is making the assertion that this is somehow rooted in any sort of truth. But what what has Trump done since day one? He has done what's best for him. And I, what I was saying is that 
a potential reasoning for that is that he knows something that we don't, which is there might be some sort of electoral benefit to this. But your point about the John Birch Society is really interesting. Um, I think that we would have to compare the the salience, the like, like how engaged people are with the John Birch Society compared to QAnon. I think it's a bit of a false comparison seeing that you know the John Birch Society is is this offshoot of McCarthyism which was a national story everybody knew about McCarthyism the idea that a alleged child sex trafficking ring conspiracy the the idea that that's some sort of widely known thing that people base their vote off of I'm not so convinced of that so I get the comparison that you're making I don't think just from a pure math perspective, the comparison works. Um, but I think it's an interesting point. I think you're exactly right about how the president has really targeted, you know, what will help his electoral chances. But I mean, like, I think that's also any politician. But I do think that's a flaw in our system. I think our system has, you know, been denigrated to a point where, you know, there are no right things or wrong things. It's pretty much how can I win re-election? And I think that's one of the things we kind of seek to change. I think at least on the Republican side, you know, we can push for a valued system, a party with principles. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, how the Republican Party needs to return to some of these values. And I think here at Gen Z GOP, we kind of, you know, understand that and we push for it. So I think as we move forward, you know, it's important for people to kind of watch what we do in that front. And as we push for a more principled, more value-centric Republican Party where we can kind of embrace an actual conservatism because QAnon is clearly not conservative. It's not even on the right. But I mean, most conspiracy theories, if they exist in the left, are not, you know, based off of democratic principles either. So I think moving forward, you know, it's important to watch what we can do and, you know, how the party kind of reacts to it. Uh, going back to Mike's Mike and John's point, like, will Kevin McCarthy uh, give... Marjorie Taylor Greene committee assignments or not, that's important for us to watch. Um, and let alone, will Kevin McCarthy be the minority leader or majority leader or Speaker of the House come January? I think that's all up in air too. So make sure to keep watching that progression and make sure to head over to our website, genzgup.org to sign up, join the movement, learn more about what we're doing over here at Gen Z GOP, and make sure to follow our social media at Gen Z GOP org and at Gen Z GOP pod on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Uh, the Twitter is especially important as we announce all of our first news on Twitter. So make sure to follow those social media. Uh, we're really excited about the podcast episode coming out next week as we will have a guest episode and very excited about what they have to talk about. Uh, but most of all, thank you guys for listening and see you guys next week. <laughs>